Welcome to the Men at Work podcast, episode number 33. I'm your host, Travis Streb. I've got John Finch on the show today. John is the founder of the Father Effect Ministries, the creator, the storyteller, the producer, and the author of the Father Effect movie and the book. And this is really a situation where, you know, John's own personal story is his gift in that he is on a mission to help people uh, become aware of and to manage the wound from their father, as it were. And this is really just about any kind of childhood programming that, you know, men and women have gotten from their father, their lack of father, you know, no matter how severe or benign the wound might seem, it has an impact on people. And so John and I talked primarily about just his story and his, you know, the, the tragic story behind his own father taking his own life when John was only 11 years old and growing up without a dad. And John's, you know, in his view, 30 years of more or less ignoring this reality and turning to alcohol and, you know, other devices, as it were, to try to get past this wound. And now he spends his time speaking, uh, bringing the, the movie, The Father Effect, and the book to other people to just bring awareness to this and to help people heal their own wounds around their fathers and to be free. So this is a, a great episode. There's something in this for everyone. And so let's go ahead and jump into episode 33. We're, we're sitting here, John, on, what is it, June 26th, so Father's Day was five days ago, something like that. Um, I had a pretty good Father's Day, I don't know about you, but your, um, you know, the film, The Father Effect, and, and the book, and, and all your work, I have to imagine Father's Day is a big time for you. Um, what was it like? It is our Super Bowl, <laughs> for sure, like every year building up to it uh you know it's it's pretty intense just trying to get all the promotions right and the marketing right and this year we did something special we did the two-week free movie so we, we showed the movie on facebook and youtube for free so uh it was uh it was really different <laughs> so me personally man I, I was nice to be home you know i've been speaking typically on father's day for the last several years and and so it was nice to be home with the family and, and just chilling. Yeah, it's like a, like a real Father's Day. You're not on the road or something like that. Um, well, of course, the, you know, the movie you're talking about that was streaming free, is, is it still streaming free? I mean, it, it's going to be it a week until it gets put out. but Yeah, it's not. But we do have it available on our website in DVD and digital download. And so we're talking about the father effect. So, you know, I think just for my for for my listeners out there it'd be good to be good to hear your 
What's your love story with the, the idea of the father effect? How'd this whole thing come to be, man? And tell us a little bit about yourself too. So, you know, just growing up without a dad, uh, my dad committed suicide when I was 11. And there's a, there's a deep backstory to all of that. Uh, he obviously was a pretty troubled man and he'd gotten involved with the wrong group of people. Uh, he'd gotten involved with the mafia and was running a counterfeiting operation and just doing some illegal stuff and uh, was busted, sent to prison. And as he was there, he was going back and testifying. And so once they released us, once they released him from prison, uh, the FBI approached us and said, hey, there's four names on a hit list and the other three guys are dead. Yours is the other name. So literally they put us in witness protection, flew us to Fort Knox, and we lived there for about a year under an alias. Now I'm a baby at this point. You know, I'm like two years old. But I had older brothers that were at that time would have been eight and nine. And so uh, it, it was a very interesting thing to discover in my early 40s <laughs> that, that there was this whole life that I had no clue, you know, had gone on because I was so young. And so, um, you know, as I just, uh, as, as I went through life from the age 11 to literally 41 for 30 years, I was just lost because I didn't have that dad there walking alongside me, showing me and telling me what it was to look like and, and, and really be like for a, a man. You know, I bought into everything the world says you need to be a success, money, power, all the mess, right? All the stuff. And so I just bought into that hook, line, and sinker. And it really just took me in off to a path that was very destructive. I became an alcoholic. I had all kinds of struggles uh, because of that and the abandonment that I had, you know, the abandonment from my dad. I was angry, dude. I was pissed off at so much at God, at my dad, at everybody, you know, that was just the abandonment thing. And so uh, my way of medicating that was alcohol. And so, so wait a second though, you didn't even know this had gone on until you hit 40. Yeah. So weird. It was just one of those weird things. So uh, when I was about 39, I was out on a golf course with a friend of mine and we were just talking and I was sharing with him some of the struggles I was having. And he turned to me at one point and he said, now you grew up without a dad, right? And I said, yeah. And I wanted to give him this 10 minute explanation about how amazing my mom is. But when I finished, he turned to me and said, but was she a dad? And that really started this curiosity. It was like, okay, I've got to figure this thing out. I got to, I know there's this issue I have and my behavior is just not right. Um, and I, there was finally a name for this thing called a father wound. You know, yeah. it was finally, I, I wasn't some weird abnormal dude just walking around trying to figure things out that, you know, there wasn't a, a name for this disease. A doctor couldn't cure it. Well, finally there was this name for, for it. And so even, even though I realized it and I walked away from the golf course that day with a sense of relief, I was, I still in denial. And so I tried to man up, suck it up, figure it out on my own. I'll, I'll just do this. You know, I'll, I'll find out and figure out what I can do. Um, but it was a couple of years later that, that really God took me to this place of brokenness, which is where he had to take me to get my attention because my life was a wreck. And, uh, and so once he got my attention, I started this journey of asking my mom and these long conversations 
asking my mom more about my dad and, and what it was like when he grew up, who were her best friends, you know, what was their first several years of marriage like? And, and she really just started to open up. As a matter of fact, I started taking with her, taking her with me when I was traveling. So we were having these really awesome conversations and she was telling me things she had never told me before. And, and that the witness protection and FBI and all that was part of those stories. Wow, man. So, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty, that's a pretty deep wound, you know, compared to, compared to a lot of men, well, a lot of people in general, but I want to, I want to make sure I really get this. So you're, you're in, you know, you're just turned 40 years old and you're traveling around with your mom. What, what were you doing traveling around? So I had literally the perfect storm. Um, I was selling plastics, had an unlimited expense account, and I was an alcoholic. Uh, so it wasn't a good combination. And I had a lot of my customers, believe it or not, I say a lot, two or three of my customers were alcoholics too. So it just wasn't a good situation because that justified my behavior. Honey, I'm working, you know, and so it was that type of thing. And so I would make every excuse in the book to stay out another night, to get drunk, to do all of those things. And so um, it, you know, being able to travel all over the country and, and I was driving most of the places. So literally, I just started taking that time knowing that I was a mess but I had this innate curiosity, which I think most people have to know more about their dad. And, and unfortunately it took me to like age 40 to, to really come to that understanding and, and, and really allow myself to want to know more about him. You know, I used to refer to him as a coward because he committed suicide and left me and my mom and brothers. So I, I had all this anger, but it was when I was about 40 that I finally just like, okay, I've got to give this man a little bit of a break and figure out some more stuff. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, it's, it's a hard place to come to, but, uh, you know, we all get there at some point. Right. I didn't really confront it till my late twenties and, you know, my dad's alive, but yeah, the same feelings of abandonment and that there's that anger though. Right. Yeah. The, the anger, I think, dude, there, most men I run into, there's an anger issue and they can't even tell you why. And that was me. I was this angry guy and really couldn't tell you why. And, and, and it was seeping out into all, every aspect of my life, relationship with my wife, my kids and friends. And, and of course, I was this great poser and pretender. You know, on the outside, you thought I had this amazing life with the white picket fence and was successful and had a lot of money and blah, blah, blah. Right. But I was an absolute mess behind closed doors. Can you say, yeah, say, I want to hear more about the leaking out piece, man. What it, cause I think, I don't know, there could be guys listening to this wondering or maybe thinking, oh, I got, I don't have a dad issue or whatever, but like, how did it leak out? Well, you know, it, the anger piece of it was the part that was really destroying my marriage. Um, you know, I was the guy, kind of the do nothing husband, I tell people. I was the guy that'd be sitting up in his office and as my two or three year old would come busting through the door, you know, I would yell at my wife downstairs, honey, what are you doing? You better get here. I mean, I was just a jerk, right? Knowing full well that my two year old has a, you know, a attention span of like 30 seconds. <laughs> so yeah. what's the big deal in taking 30 seconds or a minute to enjoy my kids and then move on. 
but that was me. And so, you know, there was that issue. And again, the alcohol, it was, I didn't want to face this monster in the mirror that I'd created. I didn't want to deal with the shame and the guilt and all the unworthiness and just all my junk. I didn't want to go there. So as a result, I would just medicate it. I'd numb it so that I didn't have to feel the real emotions of what I was dealing with because of the abandonment. Yeah, man. It's a, it's heavy to carry, you know, I feel, um, you know, I feel, although our stories are very different about our fathers, you know, some similarities around numbing out around the not wanting to address the pain of the past. Um, so somewhere along this experience though, you made a decision that you wanted to serve the planet through your wound. You know, you made a movie, you wrote a book, the father effect. Um, I'll tell you, man, it's a, it's a heavy, it's a heavy movie, but I'm like, how did it come to be that you kind of discover your wound, learn how to make art with it. And then you end up creating this, this beautiful piece out of it. Like, how did that all happen? You know what, as I ultimately found forgiveness for my father, and it was in a counseling session, you know, um, you have those cartoons or shows where the guy's talking, but the guy listening kind of wonders, <laughs> you know, it's not paying attention. I know what his mouth yeah. moving, but, <laughs> and so it was in one of those sessions. I remember the counselor and I just remember this, this impression upon me, just like, how can you be so bitter, resentful and angry towards a man who didn't know how to be a father? And then, so it was in a culmination of all these things coming together and just the timing. And for me, it was an instant forgiveness. I mean, literally, I walked out of the counselor's office that day and it's, the sky was bluer, the grass was greener. It was just crazy. Not everybody's experience is that way. Sometimes it's an ongoing forgiveness, especially if you have a dad that's still alive. You know, I had the question posed to me years ago, what's easier, the forgiving a father or the father wound issue with a dad who's gone, past, or one that's still there? And it's definitely more difficult for the dad that's still there because it's a daily reminder of the wound, right? It's a daily reminder of the work we have to do to forgive and all of that. And so um, once I, I found forgiveness, I just started sharing my story. Everybody I talked to had a story. And I thought, man, this, we've got to get men to hear these stories. So first they know they're not alone. And secondly, they understand and know their dad couldn't give what they didn't have. And ultimately that's what it was all about. It, it was understanding my dad, the more I, I knew about him and, and heard about him, you know, he grew up without a dad. His dad died when he was nine. His mom was married five times. Didn't have a stable father figure. His mom, his mom was a piece of work. Dude. I mean, that's a whole nother story, but they dropped him off at the age of 16 in the middle of New Orleans to live on his own. Just said, Hey buddy, have a life. And so as a 16 year old, in New Orleans, trying to just survive, you know, all that that entails and there's stories that go along with that. But, but again, it's, it's like, wow, I found this thing and it was life-changing as a man, husband, and father. I've got to share these stories. It's not just about me. This is way bigger than me, right? And as we begin to make the movie, this fatherlessness, this father wound, the absent father, both physically and emotionally, 
it was a it was an epidemic much bigger than I ever imagined. So I saw it and realized, man, this is something that everybody is impacted by. And I was just wanting to try to do my part in getting the message out to, to help people heal. So, I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful way for you to take that, that, well, I mean, it's a tragedy, man. It's a tragedy. What happened to you to take the tragedy and to turn it into something really beautiful and serve to serve the world with. But um, as you're, as you're going through and talking to these, well, I mean, it's not just men, but talking to people about this idea of the father effect or the wound, what, what was it that gave you the inkling that this is an epidemic? Well, I think really it was the simple fact that like everyone I talked to, you know, see, it was interesting. It was easy to find the stories of the wounded people the difficult was finding the stories of the people that had great fathers, you know, not perfect, right? Cause we're all imperfect. I'm a jacked up wounded flawed dude. You know, I've wounded my kids. I'm trying you to do me, the best you I can. You and me both, my man, yeah, you and me yeah. both. <laughs> but, but just finding the good dads, the stories of the good dads. And so that's when I began to realize, wow, this is because it was, it was just random. I was randomly talking to people, their social media, men, women, the whole bit. And every single person I talked to practically had this incredible story, you know, and, and please understand the father wound as tragic as my story may seem, you know, it doesn't have to be that extreme. It can be something so simple in that it was just a dad through divorce, decide to leave and never reconnect with his kids. It can be a dad that just never told his kid, I love you. I'm proud of you. I believe in you. It can be a dad that's for verbally or physically abusive. It plays itself out in so many different ways, some less severe than others. And so just hearing the stories over and over again from men and women and, and interviewing John Eldridge, best-selling author who, you know, we say in the movie, one of the research pieces we saw in 2007 said nine out of 10 people have a father wound. Eldridge would argue that 10 out of 10 people have one again, because we're all messed up. We're not perfect dads. Now, again, some of them are very severe wounds. Some of them are not so severe, but, but yeah, it's, it's out there. And I see it everywhere now because I'm in this and I do it every day. Um, I can see young men, that I can point out to you within a couple of minutes that we're living a life just like me, just like I was back in my twenties that are medicating, that are good time Johnny because they didn't get this affirmation they needed as a young man. So it's, I'm going to get the affirmation from somebody and the wilder, crazier I am, the more affirmation I get. Yeah. Well, and it, I mean, it leaks it, as you said, it leaks out everywhere. Um, regardless of the, of the, the depth or the size of that wound, I agree with you and I agree with John that it's, it's everyone. And it's important, you know, for, for you and I and anyone listening as, as fathers, as parents, like you and me and everyone listening is going to or already has wounded their child in some way. It's more about bringing it to, into consciousness and awareness so that, that the, the damage you do with it is diminished. Um, but you know, I, I see it in my work as well. 
you know, I, I work primarily in, in, in corporate, but it doesn't matter. You know, you, you're working with people and by and large men, there's a lot of wounding that's happened that shows up in these corporate power struggles or basically when you see grown ups behaving like they're five years old, you can figure out that it's, <laughs> it's our, and you know, myself included, man, you know, it's, uh, it's you, when you witness yourself behaving like that, it's, it's pretty clear where it came from. Um, there, and there is, yeah. there's a, there's a lot of different types. I mean, I could go over several characters in the corporate world and what they look like and a lot of what that looks like in that, in that environment. You know, you have, um, you have the guy that has difficulty taking criticism and, and I was been one of those guys all my life because I, I didn't get that confidence that comes along with getting affirmed, getting that affirmation from a father. So I lacked confidence growing up. And, and even as a, as a man, it's that lack of confidence. So any critical, anybody being critical of me, man, I lash out, you know, that was my thing. It was like, how dare you be critical of me? I've been, you know, people have been critical of me all my life and I already have low self-esteem and there's all this junk, right? To unpack and things that I'm dealing with. And then you have the guys that are incredibly driven and have become very successful because there's an underlying thing there that I'm going to go prove my old man that I can do it without him. You look at, you know, we did a, um, a little piece that didn't, didn't make it into the movie, but it was a piece on Steve Jobs, Dennis Rodman, and Barack Obama. All three have a father issue and a father wound. It played out a little bit different in each one of their lives, but they've been extremely successful. You know, the, the ironic thing, Steve Jobs, he abandoned his daughter at the same age that he was abandoned. Wow. So there's, there's some other deeper things there that also happened, but, but so many successful, very successful men are driven by that motivation. I'm going to show my old man, I didn't need him and I could be sex, successful without him. <laughs> It's uh, that's, that sounds like an interesting study, <laughs> especially if you're curious about Dennis Rodman, but you know, maybe we'll <laughs> we can circle back on that one. Um, it's, it's true though, that these, these wounds, they just kind of show up I mean, you know, you, you don't even, most people have no idea that they're even there kind of running the show. Um, the, I remember, I remember, but I, I think, yeah, it must've been about 28, 29 when I first had a, a teacher, you know, bring this idea to me that like, you know, your dad did the best he could with what he had. And it's like, what? Like, no, no, he's an asshole. You're like, okay. But you know, that phrase was, was life-changing. It's like the guy did the best with what he had. So he did literally the best he possibly could with what he had. And maybe he just didn't have very much, but God knows he was trying. Dude. And that is it. That if there's, if there's anything that anyone gets from this, you just said it. Uh, that was the catalyst, at least for me. And I think for a lot of people, we get so caught up in just being pissed off at our old man that we don't look at what made him who he is. Right. And this generational thing that gets passed down, and the generational curse, you know, one of the, one of the guys we interviewed was a prison inmate. And he tells this great story about, you know, being out on the playground as a young man and 
how he would see these other kids and their parents come to lunch and just this amazing life they had. He didn't have that. He didn't have this old man to come do anything with him. And he'd get ticked and he'd go bully those kids because he was jealous. He was mad, all these things. And he said, you know, one time he said he was at a family gathering and this lady, neighbor lady was telling him how amazing his dad was. And he just got so angry. He's like, how can you say that? You don't know my dad. He's not this amazing dad, but it was who he appeared to be to people outside the family, you know, that, that weren't behind closed doors, right? And so there's just, there's so much to this. And again, even that, what I've learned in the last 10 years of doing what I'm doing is people are incredible at pretending to be somebody they're not. And I was one of those guys, you know, I, I was afraid if you knew the real me, you wouldn't like me. And if you knew all my junk, if you knew all my stuff, when in reality, you get guys, a close band of brothers who know your junk, who know the struggle with porn or alcohol or whatever it is, and that you can reach out to when you're fixing the, when you're on the, you're on the ledge and they need to talk you off the ledge. Dude, there's no better relationships on this planet than those relationships with those guys. And, 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 when I start to share my story, cause I'm an open book now, no pun intended. I mean, I'm like, Hey, <laughs> here's my junk. Here's my stuff. This is what I deal with, you know, because for 30 years I, I played that pretender and poser. But when I start sharing my story and tell them about all my struggles, it's amazing. The guys and women go, wow, thought I was all alone. Thought I was the only one struggling with that. And, and they realize they're not. And that, you know, I think some of us, get caught up in this idea that we are the only ones and that, that, you know, we just convinced that everybody else has this father thing and this other thing figured out this man thing right, and this life thing, but none of us do. We, we are all just struggling with our own stuff and junk to make it. And, and it's okay to admit that you're not okay. Right? Well, it is okay. I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's a commonly held belief though. I mean, I, I think this is kind of the area where, where we as, as men really struggle. I mean, women do a lot better job of, uh, in my opinion, at least of getting together and being honest about what's going on. Um, you know, we'll get together a lot. And like you talked about Father's Day being the Super Bowl, you know, we'll get together a lot in Super Bowl type events, you know, talk about sports, drink beer and not really get much below that first layer of skin. And, um, you know, I have to imagine that's a big part of the perpetuation of the father effect is not talking about it. Well, the, the biggest issue, especially in men is this idea, this myth and this lie that if I admit that I have a struggle or issue, I'm somehow less of a man. It's a pride thing, right? Ego deal. And so, if we can get past that and realize, look, again, we're all struggling with something, <laughs> you know, we just are. And so for us to get past that part of, of just the insanity the what the world tells us and society tries to throw on us, if we can be real and authentic and transparent and vulnerable with one another and have real conversations, no BS, real conversations about life and our struggles, and that's a game changer. That's when men's lives begin to change and they start seeing things differently. I agree with you, man. I mean, I'm a, I lead a, I lead a, a couple of men's groups and part of one myself. And it's, 
it's like medicine. Um, you, you create these conversations though, and your work, uh, like what have you, what have you found is the best entry point to, is just telling your story? Like, how do you, I mean, the movie's great, obviously the book's good, but how do you, how do you create a space for guys to, to, to get deeper than skin deep quickly? You know, I, I think typically it starts out with me sharing my stuff, you know, because then it's amazing. It's like you're, the other men feel like they actually have permission then to be real and to share their stuff. When you're talking about your struggles with alcohol and greed and lust and all the stuff that all of us men struggle with, it, it's almost like this wall comes down. And the guys all of a sudden, wow, you know, and so it, it does, I think, go back to that, just that realness and authenticity and no BS. Let's just get real and go there and talk about these things that, that so many men, I think, want to talk about, but are afraid to because they don't have that permission. So if you can create that environment by first sharing your own story, that I think sets the tone for so many then to be open about their own story. You know, when you and I first talked about this podcast, one of the things that stuck out for me is you said, I get, you know, you get a lot more women who are calling you or emailing you about the movie than you do men. So when you're talking to these groups, like what are the big differences you see around how they, you know, take in and process this idea of the father wound? You know, women just seem to be so much more open to conversations. And again, women become intimate with talking and listening, right? That's just part of who, what makes them who they are. Guys, it goes back to that, you know, see a guy, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. His life behind closed doors is probably a wreck, right? <laughs> but it's just, it's this crazy machismo thing that we've all been led to believe is the way men are supposed to be. And, and I'll give you a perfect story. I think that, that really leads into why we're having the issues that we do as a, as a society. One of the guys we interviewed Gordon Dalby for the movie, he said, you know, John, at a very young age, we're teaching our young men at four five, six, seven years old, when they're out on the soccer field, football field, baseball field, whatever, they fall down and get hurt. We try to get them stop crying. Suck it up. You're, you're a, a good big man. You're, you know, we tell them all these things to try to get them to stop crying and whatever. So we're teaching men at a very young age not to be real, not to show their real emotion. So that same four, five, six, seven-year-old has told that all his life, grows up, and he's totally bought into this idea. Well, if I'm real with somebody else, that's damaging. It's not going to help me. It's not going to benefit me in any way. And then we wonder why we have all these communication issues in, in marriages. You know, why, why, why won't my husband be open and talk to me about these things? Well, he's been told since he was four years old not to be real, not to show his real emotions, not to cry. Real men don't cry, whatever. You know, it's like, give me a break. That's the kind of stuff that we're dealing with. So it's, it's taught at a very young age. And then the generational thing it gets passed down from generation to generation to generation. And, and what do you, so what do you see 
in the women you speak to? What's the big difference? They're just, just they're willing to talk about it. I mean, that's it. Yeah. I, I think women just are, I mean, honestly, they're just better communicators in general in their openness and they're willing to be vulnerable, right? Their willingness to be vulnerable guys, vulnerable, just the word. It doesn't sound right. Right. It's like, what? Yeah. And and surrender this idea. I got to surrender that I've got to actually step back and go, okay, I messed up. I've got a wound. I need to do something about it. That just, again, because of the way they were raised and this idea of never surrender and the brave hearts of the world and, you know, all the stuff, right? We just get so confused about what it looks like to be a real man and what real men do. It's okay to cry, man. I've cried in front of my daughters and I'm totally fine with that. I'm not embarrassed of that. I want my girls to see the real emotion of the things that are the joys in life. You know, the things that make me happy, just enjoying life in 100% of whatever that looks like for me. And, and every man's journey is different, right? But it's, it's just coming to that understanding that we got to stop buying into the lies of what we've been told all our life and, and really break that chain and be willing to do something different than everybody else it's uh it's true i mean there's that's that's a piece i want to i want to hit on in a second that be willing to do something differently but the vulnerability piece i agree with you man it's like that word comes up and i, I talk to people and they're like the best thing about us is men is like i get this thing it's like vulnerability and it's like there's this instant need to strategize okay well how do i how would i be vulnerable and you're like well, I, I don't know if it involves a lot of strategy, but you know, it's like, okay, well, I gotta, someone told me I need to be more open. How can I, it's like it's right away, jump to tactics instead of like, well, you would need to begin to feel, you know, what's at the core of you and what feels true in any moment. And then you start to express it. And, and it's not gonna all come out as a waterfall. It, it might be a trickle, maybe not others, you know, but and doesn't always, it's not that I think I love, I love the distinction you made too, though. The myth that vulnerability involves bawling your eyes out in front of a group of people or your family or whatever. It, that's a version of it. But it's also about like when you're literally ecstatic or you're excited about something or whatever you, that also is, is vulnerable. Anything that's that, anything that moves out of that baseline dial tone, you know, kind of typical model of corporate leadership or whatever, being a man, like the thou shalt not show emotion. Everything is, everything is always very, <laughs> very normal and toned down. Anything outside of that is vulnerable in my view. So I like, I like that you created that. Well, and I think too, guys, it goes back to, they are afraid that if they're vulnerable and real with other men, especially somehow other men are going to use that against them. Right. Yeah. Whether it's to get the girl, to get a promotion, to, you know, use it to spread rumors, whatever. So there's this, there's this fear that, man, if I'm vulnerable, first of all, I don't like the whole idea. <laughs> right? Secondly, who's going to use it against me? Who's going to take that and destroy my career or relationships or whatever? So there's this big thing, too, there that that I think prevents a lot of guys from being real, especially in the corporate world. 
yeah, there's an extra layer. Um, it's interesting. I had, uh, I had John Izzo on this show. He's a, uh, I don't know if you'd want to be referred to this way, but I, I view him as a bit of a leadership guru and he's taken on a number of causes, you know, um, around sustainability and corporate leadership. And most more recently he got into, he started this program with some colleagues called the men's initiative. And they're looking at a similar thing. They're looking at a similar thing. You are, but they've got some researchers behind it too. And they, they started looking at who the big influencers are for men. And they said, well, if we work with the influencers and they don't mean like, you know, Instagram influencers, but more like who are the influential men that other men look up to in the world? If we work with them first, then we can, you know, if, if we create something for them, that'll echo through or ripple through to other men. So they started working with uh, professional athletes, uh, with, with uh, police officers and firefighters, this, and, and, you know, the, the last conversation I had is like, well, the last, the last frontier is going to be corporate <laughs> men in the corporate world. You know, the people that we idolize and we want to, you know, we really look up to as men. It's like, oh, these, you know, they're like these, these, these huge tycoons and they make all this money and they're the ones that we need to model our lives after. He's like, that's, that's the next big one to crack. So it's, um, it's very true. Well, and you know, what's funny about that too, is uh, I've got a friend of mine who is a pretty well-known guy um, and he coaches business executives. He's over in Silicon Valley and, and he coaches these wealthy, wealthy individuals. And we have these great conversations. And, and he said, you know, John, he said, every single guy I've coached and some of them are extremely wealthy. We're talking billionaires in some cases they all got major father wounds, man. He says they're incredibly successful at work, but they're a nightmare at home. They, they are so good at what they do at work. It's kind of like that left brain, right brain thing, right? <laughs> so it's hard to get both sides of the brain to work. And so for men, it's a struggle that they can be so good and successful at work, but such a nightmare at home. And just, it, it's not, of their own doing a lot of times it's because they just don't know how to be a good dad or to be a good husband again because it comes back to this it was a model form their dad was abusive whatever they had a bad example but it, it is interesting that that so many of those successful people it also goes back to the idea of are driven and successful for a reason and a lot of that is in this underlying thing of a father wound. yeah well it's you know, it reminds me of, uh, of something I got from, from one of my teachers and it's a, you know, it's fairly, fairly trite passage, but in essence, he says, you know, live as if your father is dead. And, you know, it's like, if you didn't have anything to prove, what would you do with your time, energy, and effort on the planet? Like if there was, if, if there weren't anyone to either emulate, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of us, we actually either try to emulate or we completely do the opposite of what our fathers did. You, know, you pick one polarity. What, what would you emulate or what would you polarize? So, and I, I believe that is true. And I, I agree with, with your friend. I mean, I just, it's the business I'm into. I spend, you know, the vast majority of my time coaching 
business leaders and yeah, at least 80% plus men. Um, and it's the same thing. I don't, I'm not sure if I always see that correlation. Not all of them necessarily have, you know, this kind of nightmare at home. Everyone's got their stuff. We've all got stuff. Uh, it's yeah. more that what I see is the, the father wound as it were, just continues to show up in relationships at work. So the way that they relate, the impact they have, their effectiveness is directly tied to stuff that goes back to childhood. And, and um, I know that I was in this situation, man. I mean, I didn't want to address it. It was like, no, 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 this is, this is a skill. I, you know, you can develop a skill. It's like, well, there's skill, but you know, something happened when you were very young <laughs> and it's still affecting you. It's still affecting me. So let's bring it into awareness so that at least you won't let it run the show. You'll at least know what it's starting to get there. Um, has it been, has it been your experience that if you can get people to be aware of the wound, that's enough, or is, is there more needed? You know, it, it's the toughest thing in all of this, you know, is that first step and it's the admitting that they're wounded. So, um, it's, yeah, it's not for something very simple and, and we always need more awareness because even when, I mean, there's been hundreds of people that I've spoken to and, and crowds I've spoken to and, and that still reject the idea or, or don't want to admit they got a father wound again, because of all those things we've kind of talked about. Right. Um, and, and the interesting thing too, is you kind of alluded to this earlier, but so much of the time, you know, our dads in so many cases don't even know they need to be forgiven. The forgiveness is not for them. It's for us, you know? And, and so diving a little deeper into that, Larry North was a guy we interviewed in the movie and he has this great story and it's a powerful wow moment. And there's a lot of wow moments in, in the, in the movie and through the journey. But he said, you know, my, him and his dad were estranged for many years and his dad was a gambler and chose gambling over his family. And, and he talked about this one conversation about his dad going, Larry boy, you're my boy, you're my boy, you're my favorite, you know, and, and what have I ever done to you? He, he thought like he had never done anything to his child. He literally, and the abandonment, all the stuff, his dad just never thought that there was anything there. And his dad ends up getting cancer later in life. And he brings him to Dallas, puts him in a VA hospital. He gets a call one day and the nurse says, Hey, Larry, you need to get down here because your dad's probably not going to make it much longer. So he rushes down there, gets all the stuff together. It takes him a little while, but he gets down there, walks in the room and he just goes in there and his dad's passed out, non-responsive. And he just says, man, I just tell him all the things I've always wanted to say that I forgive him. I get it. I'm sorry. All, all, all these things. He says, he walks out of the room. And the nurse says, approaches him. She's got tears rolling down her eyes. And she says, Larry, I'm so sorry. I didn't want to tell you this while you were in there, but he died about an hour earlier. And she said, he said to the nurse, I didn't do that for him. I did that for me. And, and it is, that's what it's about. It's about forgiving for you because that anger, that bitterness, all that stuff, it's going to impact your life in some way and maybe not as much now, but somewhere in the future. And it's probably impacting your life more now than what you realize. Well, it's a, 
it's a it's a, it's that's a beautiful story um wow yeah so if yeah by the way for anyone listening definitely go watch the movie um it is far better than binge watching something on netflix please <laughs> make the time but but it is it is about about your own freedom or our own freedom and i i, I think that that's an important point so you know, for those out there that if it's like, well, I, you might have a lot of resentment or a lot of judgment, but what we're all looking for, at least in my, in my view, is we're trying to experience some form of freedom in life, at least, especially for men. This is like freedom is the thing we are always seeking and you can find it in a bottle. You can find it in sports. You can find it anywhere, but you know, true freedom is about being unshackled and this wound in my view is the, the it, it carries a very heavy shackle and part of the forgiveness is being free it, for- you know what it, it is brother that's for me and that's why i do what i do the freedom that i've experienced from forgiving my dad and again mine was instant a lot of people's not everybody's man every man's journey is different and woman's but what it has done in my life is it's amazing, brother. I could not tell you if you'd have told me 11 years ago. So this happened 10 years ago. If you'd have told me 11 years ago, I'd, I'd be where I'm at today. And again, hear me. I'm not perfect. I'm still jacked up dude and have my stuff, <laughs> but the freedom from the burden of what I was carrying. I tell people all the time, a, a picture, a man walking around town, just normal life. And he's got 10 big black hefty trash bags. He's carrying full of his junk, you know, walking around as if, Oh no. Yeah, I'm good. You know, trying to pretend that, life, that everything's good knowing full well, people will see this mountain of trash bags in your junk. That was me. And once I forgave my father and all that was gone, I could be me. I was free. I, I was able to do things and see things in a different way that I had never seen before because of that anger and the blindness that I had of, because of the unforgiveness. Well, it's uh, it's also, I love that analogy, man, because, you know, everybody else can see in us, you know, where we hold back, where we still have anger. Like, you know, you said, well, you, you've been doing this a long time, but you see it in other people other people see it in everybody else too. And yet we all walk around thinking no one sees my shit. No one sees my shit. It's like, yep, we do. And you see mine too. And that's okay. Um, you might as well bring it out. You might as well bring it out in the open. So I want to, you know, I know there's a lot of people listening who are parents, you know, whether they're, whether they're um, mothers or fathers or whatever. They, you know, there's a lot of this. It's like, well, how do I not wound my kid? Um, and I think that's when we've put that one to rest. You already have, or you will. But what are the, you know, how do you take this information, this awareness and use it as a parent? So for me, you know, with my, so I have three daughters. I have a 20 year old, an 18 and a 14 year old. And when my older ones, uh, hit that 12, 13, 14 years old. And I've started, I've been doing this with my younger one now, but you know, the cool thing and some of the best conversations I've had with my girls is sharing part of my story, sharing, 
man, what were my struggles growing up? What was my favorite ice cream? It goes back to that innate curiosity of our kids wanting to know more that, that dad was more than just dad, right? That he's human, that he, that he's messed up. <laughs> I don't know that they want to know that, but they need to know that he's not perfect. Right. And there's, there's reasons for that. For me to share my story, my struggle with depression, my, my struggle with alcoholism, all of those things, it helps them see that I'm not perfect because they're going to find out eventually. But it also helps them understand and see they don't have to be perfect. There's not this incredible benchmark that they have to attain and that I'm only going to love them if they perform or all the other mess that comes along with what that message in, in reverse can, can tell our kids. You know, in sharing with my kids when I lose my temper, when I blow it, when I say something I shouldn't say, for me to take that child or that daughter, teenager, and have a private conversation and say, you know what, I am so sorry. I was having a bad day or whatever. Tell them the truth. Will you forgive me? And that shows them that we're not perfect, shows them that, that we're doing the best we can. You know, my girls know my story. I think ultimately love covers a multiple of our mistakes, right? Of our sins, if you will. And, and so they know we love them. They know that dad, that I'm doing the best I can because I'm willing to have these difficult conversations with them. They know they're cared for and loved because I'm willing to talk about sex. I'm willing to talk about drugs and drinking. And, and, and when I mess up, having these conversations and, and, you know, it also shows and tells them, you know what? When I make a mistake, I can go to dad too. It's not like I got to hide this stuff. He shared some of his stuff with me. So let's have a conversation. And, and so it's in those conversations, intimate conversations where I'm being real and raw with my kids that I think the intimacy and the bond that's grown from those is it's priceless. Yeah, man. It's, I, I love that as a takeaway for people around the parenting side. It's, it's, there's no, you don't have a three-step process or it's like you sit down and talk about your own story. Yeah. Kids, kids really do want to know what you were like when you were, <laughs> you were young, Dude, man. I, so I, I'll tell you what, real, and what got me going on that in the direction and in, in, in the process of making the movie. One night I'm laying down with my girls and this has probably been 10 years ago and we're all laying down before we go to bed. And, uh, and one of them just asked me, Hey dad, what was your first job? So I tell them about working at Chuck E. Cheese. I had to dress up in the rat costume. And it's like hot as all get out. The head's bigger than anything. And like, I got kids pulling on my tail and I'm trying to turn around, but I can't because the head's so big and it's like a nightmare, right? It was the worst job ever. I think I, I quit the next day. <laughs> it was just, you know, but we still laugh about that to this day. But, but that night, three hours later, we're still talking about my jobs and my, my, what it was like when I was a kid. Who are my best friends? Who are my running buddies, right? That, that's when it hit me. Man, our kids really dig listening to our stories. And, and the bond that we form, even in sharing those funny stories. Again, like I said, my girls still harass me about the rat costume at Chuck E. Cheese. To this day, we laugh about it. So it's in those times that, man, that's, that's good stuff, right? That's how we build relationships with our kids. Yeah, I I really dig that man. It's a it's a it's a great story to bring. I love. I'm, I can already see you in in the Chuck E. Cheese rat costume, man. 
I'm sorry yeah, that it, happened to you. It wasn't good. <laughs> of course, I had buddies making fun of me too. You know, that didn't help. No, I'm sure. I'm sure it didn't. Um, so, uh, I want to. I want to ask you something a little different. Um, you know, I know that that you came to a lot of this awareness um, through faith, and one of the I've interviewed some people on this podcast and um, some you know who are who are in the faith community, and the. The thing that the the thing that they've told me that I wanted to ask you about is they said, well, you know, a lot of a lot of these faith based men's groups, as it were, aren't willing to go deep enough because a lot of the pastors just aren't willing to let their shit air out. And I'm curious what your experience has been with that um, and how you know how you're changing it because I feel like you are. Well, and you hit the nail on the head. Um, you know, our struggle and getting this message out in churches, really, the faith-based community is been that pastors don't want to go there for a number of different reasons. I think I had a mentor of mine tell me years ago that he talked to pastors, traveled the country and talked to pastors. And I was telling him about the struggle and getting pastors to open their doors of the message. And he said, he called me about two weeks later and he said, man, I get it. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he goes, I just walked out of a room of about 40 pastors. And he goes, I guarantee you, Every single one of them had a father wound. And, and so you have this. And Gordon Dalby, I mentioned him earlier. Mm-hmm. When I sat down with him, he had been doing this 50 years up to this point. And he wow. said, John, your biggest issue is going to be getting the message into churches because pastors, most of them are wounded. And here's the thing. They don't want to become vulnerable and emotional in front of their congregations because – that's not going to make them look good, right? People are going to think differently. They're going to think, well, he can't lead this church if he's crying or whatever, you know? So it's this, again, pastors are jacked up as any of us. <laughs> Sometimes they're more jacked up uh, <laughs> because they got all this stuff. Now, let me also say they're a blessed group because I could never do what they do, right? That is a yeah. craziness that I could never in a million years fathom. And I've gotten to know several pastors over the years and got to be good friends with them. Um, but yeah, that, that's the issue is they don't want to be vulnerable and, and transparent in front of their congregation. So most of the faith-based stuff is very superficial. You know, uh, they don't want to talk about sex. They don't want to talk about drugs. They don't want to talk about alcoholism. You know, in, in our movie, we have the one lady and we talk about promiscuity and how, as a young girl, a lot of times, not every time, but a lot of times if they grow up without a dad, they're dying for that positive affection and love. And so they're going to go find it wherever. The first guy that shows up, they're going to go get it, right? And most of the time it's through sex. And so she grew up thinking that sex was love, right? That in order to be loved, she had to have sex with guys. And so there's that whole, you know, dynamic. And so, yeah, it, it in most churches, in most, a lot of faith-based groups, they don't want to talk about pornography, addiction, alcoholism, greed, lust, all the stuff, the real stuff that all of us guys deal with on a daily basis. And that's, that's the problem. That's yeah. a big issue. It's, it is, um, it's too bad, you know, in a lot of ways, right? I mean, there's, you know, it's, it doesn't matter what community you, you're part of. I mean, the, the, the wound is the wound and it's going to show up, but it strikes me that, 
you know, you got, you have a lot of, a lot of men's groups emerge in churches and it would be a great place to be able to have it. Um, so keep on, keep on fighting the fight, John. We'll see. You know what? I am. There's nothing stopping me, whether anybody pays attention or not. That's a different story, but I'm, 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 uh, this is the mission that I've been given, dude, and it's my purpose. And so I'm, I'm all in from here to, to when I'm going for sure. So um, what, what is it that are, are you, are you going out and speaking a lot to groups? Are you like, how are you, how are you doing your work and, and fulfilling your mission? So, yeah, I get the opportunity to speak, uh, not nearly as much as I would like because of that issue with, with churches and, and the guys that are dealing with some of the stuff they deal with. Um, but really it's social media. We've been blessed with a really good social media following on Twitter, really engaged group on Facebook, YouTube. We're really starting to develop that. We've been on YouTube now for probably 10 years. And so really it's been mostly through social media. I'll do little videos. I do a lot of quotes and things that, that I come up with myself in the fathering in my fathering adventure as a fatherless man trying to become a better father, right? Yeah. There's things that I'm learning every day. And, and so I put a lot of quotes out there. I do videos just trying to educate people. You know, I think the social media and the platform that is there that wasn't there many years ago is such an incredible tool, um, you know, to reach people that, that I would never have an opportunity to reach. And Twitter has been one of those platforms. I mean, I could tell you a hundred stories about people I've connected with people we've interviewed on our show and, and just the fascinating stories, because at the end of the day, it's about the power of story. Each one of us has a story and, and I love being able to tell other people's stories because there's nuggets in those stories that then make others realize, wow, him too. I'm not alone those things that we talked about. Yeah, man. It's so you're, you're like a story amplifier, which I love. (laughs) Yeah. And you know know what, dude, at this point, it it really is. It's, I tell people all the time, man, share your story because God's given you a story for a reason, good, bad, or indifferent. There's, it's amazing how he can use your story in ways that you will never fathom. I mean, I'm the biggest knucklehead you'll ever meet. And the fact that he used my story and I hear stories about stories and whatever, and what he's done with my story, it's dude, it's, you know, if he can do this with me, he can do this with others and so much more. Yeah. I love that as a message. You know, it's probably the, the key to this whole thing is to figure out what your story is first and then share it in whatever, in whatever way feels like it's the best for you. But, um, um, I'm curious for, for people that haven't heard of the father effect movie and, and the book and your work, where, where should they go to find you, man? So we have our website, the father effect.com. Uh, I'm almost also at the father effect on pretty much every social media platform, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, YouTube, those type of things. So you can find me pretty much anywhere. If you Google John Finch, or the father effect, I think I'll probably come up. <laughs> so I've been doing it long enough yeah. that, you know, there's just enough in the system where Google does me okay. As long as the algorithm is still working in your favor, John, we'll, um, we'll, we'll keep our fingers crossed for that one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You're right. All, 
I mean, I'll, I'll link up everything in the show notes to make sure people can go find you. I will say to my listeners, well, I've still got you here, man. Like go watch the movie. Heck, if you only have time, just go watch the trailer. You'll probably watch the movie if you watch the trailer is my, my, my opinion. Um, you know, go read the book, but, but I think it, you know, the deeper message here is share, share your story, figure out what the story is and go share it. So it's, it's beautiful to see what you've done with that as a fairly simple concept, but a very hard thing to practice. So, um, so thank you, man. Thank you for being on the men at work podcast, for sharing your story, for doing what you're doing in the world. And, um, I can't wait to get this episode up on the air next week. So um, thank you, yeah. brother. Hey, I appreciate you being patient with me and, and how, helping me make this thing work from a date standpoint. I, I felt bad that we had to kind of reschedule at one point, but dude, I, I, brother, it, it is just me doing the best I can to share the story and, and God doing the rest. And that's, that's what it's all about. Okay. That is it for episode 33. Like I said, there was something in that for everyone. We even got to talk about Dennis Rodman and Steve Jobs. So I'm sure you didn't see that coming. If you want to find out more about John Finch and his work, I will link up everything in the show notes. But if you type into Google The Father Effect, you go to thefathereffect.com, you will find him and his work. Highly recommend you checking out the movie. You can stream it online from his website uh, for a small fee, and it is worth every second. If you enjoy this episode, as always, please give me a rating and let me know how you're enjoying it on iTunes, on SoundCloud, or wherever else you listen to this podcast. All right, I look forward to bringing you episode 34 real soon.